Hey everybody, it's your boy Chase and welcome to this week's episode of the show. On today's episode, Josh and I will be living out our own personal buddy cop fantasy. So please, unless A, your name is Holland March and you're already drunk and need to pick up your daughter from school in the next 10 minutes, or B, you're driving, pour a drink, relax, and get ready to have a laugh with Josh and I on this week's episode of The Digest Show. Let's go! Joshua, before we begin today's episode, I'd like to propose a toast. So raise your glass with me, my friend. To the birds. Hallelujah. On this episode four of the Digest Show, me and my friend Josh are going to be delving into 2016's action comedy. Action comedy, my dude. Something different for us. The Nice Guys. Written and directed by Shane Black, starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. I'm excited for this one, man. Oh, yeah. It's uh, comedic dynamite. If you will. If you will. Now, last episode, I happened to have uh, the subject in my closet floor. I had the DVD at hand. This time, it's your turn. Please, everyone, join my compadre on the back of the box for an overview of the film before we begin our deep dive. Whether you have never heard or seen the film, or it's been a few years like it might have been for us, I hand it to my friend for from the back of the box. In order to solve the crime of the century, these two will have to play nice. In this movie, written and directed by Shane Black, down on his luck and forks are Jackson Healy and the world's worst detective, Holland March. The worst detective? That's what it says, my brother. Pair up to find a missing girl and take down some not-so-nice guys along the way. Together, they break news headlines and a few bones in this calamitous buddy comedy that will keep you guessing and laughing. Well done. Thank you, thank you. So part of the reason we picked this movie, I think that we inherently identify with this buddy cop theme, the two of us. It just so happens the grumpy one and the wild card is kind of... It fits our grander personas, and we were just drawn to it, and we love it. Um, this is, like I said, this is a buddy cop movie. It's about these two superstar guys, really, doing this like well-rounded film, this hilarious fucking movie. Um, so why don't you—I think we meet Healy first, Russell Crowe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's so, start there. Yeah, so, I mean, you you meet Healy. He's, he's working a case uh, for him, which is what, what he considers a case, I suppose— um, and, you know, he's, he's kind of thinking inside of his own thoughts, and he kind of tells us that he's a tough guy. And uh, he, he, the, the, when we first meet him, he's, he's basically teaching an older gentleman a lesson, which is not to uh, fuck with 13-year-old girls. And so he, we meet this guy smoking some who's pot. Who's the man? With, with, yeah, who's the man, girl? <laughs> who's the man? And then... So basically, Healy just asks him, are you the man? And then just knocks him the fuck out and says, you know, don't fuck with little girls, you know? Um, and this guy, like, he, you know, he's a tough guy for hire. He, he's, 
he lives above the comedy store of all things. Like I'm so I can't believe you already brought that up. I, I mean, it's like a footnote, but yeah, like mega. Like I was like the first time I was just like, oh, mega shout out to the comedy store, and it was like the second time I saw the movie, I was like, oh shit, he lives above the comedy store. I had to rewind but, to make sure I saw that that they do that the, the uh, exterior to establish yeah. where he lives. It's like holy yeah. shit. Did you see Jay Leno's name on the yes. marquee? Yes. How funny yes. is that? It's great. And there there are a lot <laughs> I was of, like, okay, great detail. Well yeah, done. There are a lot of those, you know, like little things that are dropped in there that are, you know, make the again, this is our I got like we're basically hosting that 70s podcast at this point. I mean, the yeah, last movie We're, we're thinking about changing the show <laughs> to I love the 70s. Yeah, yes. Actually, feathered hair, folks. We're going to have uh, big, wide lapels, and things are going to get rowdy. And absolutely zero conditioner. You're going to stand in line for gas <laughs> and wear a sweater. Okay, turn the heat off. So, so Healy, you know, so he's this kind of rough and tumble guy. And so when we basically, we first meet him, he knocks this dude out. And then as we follow him a little bit, he's taking this kind of his next case. And it's a, a young woman named uh, Amelia who wants him to kind of get some people to stop looking for her effectively. And she's giving him this sob story and she's really teary eyed. And he's like counting the money in the envelope. And he's just like, you're short. You're seven dollars short. Seven dollars short. This seven dollars short. I think it's really telling of that character that there's she's seven dollars short and she's yeah she's being so heartfelt and gratuitous to him and he's like, honey, seven dollars short. short. And, the, totally. and the, the look on like Russell Crowe's like face acting like look, we're gonna get into so his many face acting, parts. dude. Come on, man, it's so great. It's and just, his accent too. I oh, want to talk about how good it is. Right, yeah. like you. Totally. It, it, when you're watching some of the special features and it's like clips from the movie and then it's Russell Crowe talking about them and you're like, wait, what? Brain fuck, brain fuck. Um, but then, yeah, just like one of the last things I'll, I'll bring up that, that kind of introduce Healy that kind of really says something to, about him is he's that guy who's got the, the little word of the day calendar and like it tries to, and, and, and I love the way they do that. He's totally reminded me of you. you know? <laughs> It reminded me of you. I feel like you would do something like that. He's on, hey man, he's on a path to like learn things, you know? Like it's just, he's, it's, a, it's a decision he's made. So the, the character, yeah, is like trying to be like somewhat dignified or like in control. Especially in that part when he's talking about the word, that spit take he does, the cutscene. Oh, it's great. No, that's that's where I was going. I mean, that's beautiful yeah. right there. I mean, because the word is uh, equanimity and it's basically like calmness and, and he's. Right. He, uh, he accepted her betrayal with equanimity, and it's like a hard cut to I'm fucking Jack. Your, I'm fucking your, your dad. Your dad. <laughs> like what? It's good. Yeah, I mean that's and that that really helps set the pace for this movie too, because this entire anyway. movie is just it's like timing, like Fred Astaire, man. Like it's it's great. Absolutely. So that's Healy. Now on to uh, Holland March. First of all, before I I do my Holland March intro. Why don't these two guys do more comedies? Right? We're going to talk more about it, but they're so both so good. Oh, absolutely. Their chemistry is the crux of this film. In any case, we then meet Holland March, hungover in a tub in a suit. <laughs> a full bathtub in a suit. So that's the first thing we meet this man. It, the next thing is his daughter... His what eleven year old, twelve year old daughter calls him to remind him it's not only her birthday, <laughs> but that he is quote supposed to work today. 
Oh, perfect intro. Per- I mean, perfect, perfect intro. So good. Well executed by Rye Guy. Oh, yes. Just, absolutely. So this guy's a loser. We find out about Holland March that it's more innuendo and nuanced and like shading of the character throughout the film. We find out his wife is no longer with us in his inner monologue to start. He's talking about the degradation of society and how everything's going to shit. In reality, his life sucks. He's a loser. He he we he references the fact that he used to be on the force, like I said. He is no longer on the force. His wife is dead, so that's an interesting point. We find out later that his house burned down and his wife perished in said fire. It, it it's it says because he has a bad sense of smell. It's because he's an alcoholic. Yeah, a man is chain smoking, alcoholic, depressed, nervous wreck. Yes. Yes, yes. Thank God, it's fucking hilarious to watch. It, oh, it, it absolutely is. Absolutely. So to, yeah, and so to juxtapose the kind of P.I. that Russell Crowe is to the kind of P.I. that Ryan Gosling's character is, we find himself talking to an old lady. He said, well, the, the quote is, a guy at a local retirement park kicks, a guy in a local retirement park kicks me a few cases his way. This man is sitting here. This old lady obviously has some form, some form of dementia or is, is just old and delusional. And he takes advantage of her. She says, I haven't seen this man since the... It cuts to the, an urn with the man's ashes. And you see you see March hesitate. And he goes, he's like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take, the, uh, I'll take the job. He hesitates, <laughs> but he does it anyway. He's yeah. always undercutting people. He's always taking advantage of, of old people out of her retirement park yeah Um, and to kind of cap off his intro he has like i don't know if it's a tattoo or it's written on from being out at a bar or a club it says you will not be happy and it's reference his pov is referenced throughout the film him seeing that on his hand Mm. um he's kind of his character's kind of having this like existential crisis throughout the film uh, but that kind of sums it up um the other part of the film that's introduced during holland march's introduction is pornography he says you know i work in a cesspool um and he's he's walking through porn uh, houses and and that's a big element of the film which is obviously we love the 70s <laughs> which is the introduction of of hollywood and it, like that subculture of pornography which happened then um yeah, yeah. so that's a- and i was gonna say when you're talking about him being uh like he's talking about the world's falling apart around him. It's like, hey, kind of does live in L.A. in the late '70s. Like shit's pretty fucking gnarly, you know. It also reminds me. Of, we'll get to it, but Amelia's character—they're talking about her later in the film. And they're like, she says her her mom's, you know, taking down the the civilization of the world and stuff, and she's out to kill her. And and Healy says, you know, three people did just try and kill her today. So maybe there's something to do yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So this movie is a buddy cop movie. We just met our two leading men, but there's the third wheel and it's well executed uh, by this young actor in the form of uh, March's daughter, Holly. Yes. Yes. I, uh, I absolutely adore Holly's character in this, in this movie. I do too. It's, it's the perfect placement. Um, She's that, that uh, older than her years, teen you know preteen girl who's smart as a whip and brave oh my god so like in the i mean just in the context of this movie that character is like uber brave she's like fearless practically well well she has to be because her dad's a drunk 
True. And, and, and she's pure. Like that's one thing. Like she represents yeah. like pure, like a spot of purity in that whole scene that this film takes place or in it. it, it totally. So it's great. I, I enjoy Holly's character for that reason. Yeah. She, she chauffeurs him around, you know, she, we see her driving more than we see March driving, which yes. is hilarious. There's one scene about halfway, two thirds of the way through the film. I think when she's driving home, they meet up at the house they're renting and they're late because they had to stop at a bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's yeah. also the part of the film where the Healy sees her uh, before he meets her out on the lot where their home used to be. And she's like playing house and reading and reenacting on a plot of land where their house, there's like this weird dark undertone to this film. And what it, what that acts to do, if we could touch on that and Holly's character, is it supposed to like create empathy for the mess that is Holland March? Like he, he has guilt over this death of his wife, and it, this again, this is a comedy. I swear to God, but it is a part of the film. It really is. Well, I mean, out of you know, all good comedy comes from some sort of pain, right? You know, and sure. I think that the way I've I've kind of been thinking about that is I kind of see March as this who, former cop who probably was a good cop, worked in L.A. in the mid '70s, and like worked some tough shit. Probably worked hard hours and had this issue and this like terrible thing happened and then he just fucking fell apart not knowing what to do and probably lost someone he really cared about and just became like over the top loss but you're absolutely right holly buys this dude all of the sympathy in the world because you love this character as you why you like you're watching him be such a piece of shit but you forgive him five minutes later because he's just this clumsy like accidental detective that just make i didn't just i don't know you just you learn he, he endures you know like definitely he's endearing for sure like he's wasted he's a bad dad he he gets getting beat up the whole movie yes, but, yes. but he is like he he is brian gosling's performance is the best part of the film yeah yeah it, it is I and mean, it's it, the twinkle in the eye of the movie you know that i think makes it churn well, I think it, it. I think there's also something to be said about about Shane Black, like in in the like a tone that he sets too for for like someone like a Ryan Gosling to be incredibly funny, you know, which is also a, a part of that. But there's no doubt. I mean, in particular, to just go ahead and state this, I mean, his physical comedy in this movie is just it, it's. It's it rivals like some of the greatest physical comedians. It's like Chaplin esque to me, like Buster Keaton. Like it's very old school. It is. It is. It's, and it's like that, like timing. Uh, Ryan Gosling famously like was like a mouseketeer and shit. Like he's he's a performer. He's got timing. He has like bodily awareness. He probably has danced before and stuff. Like it's really a great performance and the physicality oh. of it. Whether he's like battling a bathroom dart. Uh, a bathroom door or falling, taking a head fall down a hill at a party. He's just like, he's got a cigarette in his hand, 95% yeah. of the movie. Mm. And he just uses the cigarette to, to inform the character. I don't know. It's, that guy it, crushes this fucking movie. No doubt. And by the way, I just want to say he definitely can dance, uh, you know, la la land. Oh yeah. The target commercial. The, the man can dance. The man can dance. Yeah, definitely. For sure. We're a fan of Ryan Gosling on the show, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we like I, our leading man. Yeah, I, it, it got the, I like to affectionately refer to him as the Gauze. I don't know if that's like a thing or not, but that's 
he's he's the gauze for me. So I I like the gauze. He he hasn't quite put out that one thing that I'm just like, man, you're you're you just you just crushed it beyond all recognition. But maybe not. But he he's always swinging for it. Yes, he makes really good choices. Amen. no absolutely i'll I'll watch that guy in anything me too me too me too yeah because whether it's a damien chazelle movie where it's an action comedy i wish he would do more comedy just because i like it oh me too but you know blade runner uh yeah he does the awkward like squid in the whale did that bomb back movie uh squid in the whale like he he makes really cool cool choices for sure he definitely does and i mean i think the reason we'll keep watching him is because if we watch long enough we're going to get that like out of this world performance. Like there's just no doubt if he's going to get, he's going to get there. It's just, I think he's got, he hasn't quite come upon the right role in the right film. And those are both very important. Right. I I see what you're saying, but I mean, I I get what you're saying. And I agree with you for like the, uh, like long-term, you know, uh, like effects to his career ramifications. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I get that he's maybe missing that, like, big, like, signature performance. But as a whole, to date, I, I, I've i probably seen, I've probably only missed a few of his performances. Like, if I see Ryan Gosling in a movie, I'm going to see it. Or Me I'm too. making a point to watch it. 100%. Me movie, too, yeah. Movie star, totally. Now, on the other side of it is Russell motherfucking Crow. Oh, right. So Season we have, like a, like, like, a 21st century leading man in Ryan Gosling versatile performer we all love him we just did a whole diatribe about it russell crowe is fucking gladiator it's fucking he's gladiator. Like, he's a blockbuster movie star yes and he's yes. hilarious in this movie he's like the ping pong he's like the wall that to uh ryan gosling's ping pong ball <laughs> the timing and the the push and flow and ebb and flow rather with him is just so perfect yes he it crushes is. it. He and 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 again, the the physical comedy in this is great. And hit uh, while while Gosling's um, March care March character is is so like kind of over the top funny in ways. Um, Russell Crowe's Healy is is just subtly funny in in just these quick changes in in his body language and stuff that he does. It's just it's it's great. He goes from being a tough guy to like a a fucking like squire in no time. Squire, I like that. Yeah, he's, he's like he's this. So... He has like a hum, he's like humbled to like t- take care of business. He's also like the far more capable like PI <laughs> in the movie. Like he has to clean up a lot of messes and and he just plays it really well. I love his accent in this movie. Oh, not to like nitpick but there's a couple points where i'm reminded he's australian i mean he's born in new zealand he's from that area but his accent is perfect before in his his character intro he talks about being from brooklyn in the irish brooklyn he's definitely doing that that sort of going for the accent Mm -hmm. but but it just it lends itself to the character really well and i I really love that part of his performance absolutely yes yes it's 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 really cool because it's not very often that you get to have two uh, actors who are like considered so like I mean considered like serious actors do a really good comedy like this. I mean we got fortunate with one you know last year that you know once upon a time we got one of those, but this one is another one where it's like two really caliber 
actors who can take on deep, serious roles, and they're just doing like a little bit more lighthearted comedy, and it works so fucking well. But it's because it's good. It's really, really good. Ah, oh, man, belly laughing through this one. Yes, like, seriously. Yes. So this is a good segue into talking about why we chose this movie, and you know, we're we're wannabe snobs. We're picking like Academy Award winning like criterion all-time great afi list pictures because we, we just love that stuff but we picked this movie we wanted to do a comedy and also like this is tailor-made to be like a cult classic it wasn't super popular when it came out it it made up for its budget it was profitable but going through what we just talked about having two huge 21st century movie stars in this film and having a director and a writer on it that has as and I know you want to talk to touch on Shane Black's pedigree as a, a filmmaker, but this could have been, should have been bigger than it was. And that we're going to talk about that, but also why we chose it. Um, it's just unique. And I think we were, like I mentioned earlier, we we're both drawn to the buddy thing because of what this show is. And it's you and me, you know, you, you referenced, you said Russell Crowe's character in this movie is like your, your spirit animal spirit animal yeah and yeah, it really like, is like yeah when i get when i get to be like a certain age i just want to be that like zero fucks to give kind of a guy i just you know like i just want to be that i don't i'm not not necessarily the like physical harm to people but i just want to have zero fucks to give and go about my day and do what i'm doing and not give a shit and in response to that i totally see some of the worst parts of myself in Ryan Gosling's character. And like, I'm brave enough and a secure enough man and human being to say that to who's listening. Like in our heyday in our early mid twenties, like partying, I usually was in the middle of some sort of action. I usually was actions, a word actions, a word Let's stick with action. I found myself like when he takes, as, as Healy says, takes a header down the hill and he's staring up at him and Healy's yelling at him, like, how the fuck did you get down here? It reminded of it reminded me of you and me back in the day where maybe we're at a house party or something and you don't see me for a little bit. And all of a sudden you find me and I'm like on the table dancing or in the middle, like breaking up a fight or like it like in any sense, like it, we saw ourselves in this one two punch of the movie. And it's kind of what drew, drew ourselves to to picking it. It definitely is, and like just for for sake of of flow, I'm gonna stay with this topic of why we picked it. But you know, later we're gonna get into like our lists for the episode, and that scene in particular kind of leads into one of mine. And I got some thoughts that because there's definitely some some very uh, chase, some very chase, uh, just actions embedded in that, and it, I couldn't help but see them. Uh, but one thing I'll say is like for me, just yes, the buddy, the buddy movie, but also, 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 folks, I am a sucker for like two things: a dick flick, and I mean a private detective flick, and a fucking Democrat. Uh, oh wait, <laughs> a fucking Democrat. No, uh, excuse you, the inverse: a cat burglar film okay that, oh yeah and i just want to use this platform to say hey if you're listening out there any filmmakers or future filmmakers please can we get back in to cat burglars i want to watch people best. steal shit yes in very nifty and like 
really awesome ways. Like, I want to watch that. It's awesome. Especially when they're like Robin Hood cat burglars. It's even better. <laughs> so before we get more into that and like why we chose and why we love it, I want to tell the, the story of why it maybe wasn't as successful as it could have been. Yeah, and, yeah. Please. And I mean, that's I like a got more insight into this. Well, it's just a little I, anecdote. It's a it it's a true like Hollywood moment. So the release date of this movie was set and it was going up against Neighbors 2, like this frat bro comedy with like a Franco brother and mm -hmm. just uber popular, like money grabbing thing. And the same production company that made the nice guys also had this Kevin Hart and The Rock movie. And so they put all the money and merchandising and or not merchandising, but promotion into the Kevin Hart and rock movie to go up against neighbors in the same weekend and didn't put nearly as much love into the nice guys. And I mean, that's essentially it. Oh, I see. That's, that's, Oh God, that's so unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but don't you love having nuggets like this movie that are just yours that you love? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It because... sucks. And I wish more people, and we're going to get to a reason why it really might potentially suck later in the film. Yes. But, um, no, but, like, what I was just going to say, like, you, that what that means is that this movie is going to be a cult film, and by the time, so. you know, by the time we're 40, everybody's going to love The Nice Guys. It's just going to be one of those movies that, like, the 16-year-old kids are like, have you seen The Nice Guys, man? It's, like, the greatest this is the best movie. You got to see this when you're like, 16, it is so 17. fucking funny though, man. It like, is. I it's hilarious. Watch it. I want people to watch it. Please and go it, watch this fucking movie. And it's hilarious in the best kind of way. Like the absolute best kind of way. It's not, it's not raunchy funny. It's just, it's, it's pure comedy, good timing and, and really, really good writing. Absolutely. So I know that you had you had like an Iron Man anecdote. Shane Black, writer director of Iron Man three, I believe. Just for the record, disclaimer: Sorry, Marty, we like the Marvel movies here on this show. Yeah, but you know they're movies. They are, they're they they are in fact films. Anyway, so you had something to share, uh, Shane Black related, just to give him a little backstory. I think it was Iron Man related. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, so I, I, yes, it's Iron Man related, but to kind of get there you have to go back to kiss kiss bang bang right so i was introduced to shane shane black um through kiss kiss bang bang and having uh, a really close friend had taken a class and the professor had made them watch the movie and she made me watch it with her i loved it we still watch it to this day on occasion and so robert downey jr is in that movie with val kilmer and it's got it also has that kind of, uh, you know, a story to unravel, buddy vibe, this back and forth acting that is also very, very good, which is why I made that comment earlier about like Shane Black bringing a tone to this thing that like really fosters these two amazing actors in these roles. Um, but so anyway, at that time, uh, Robert Downey Jr. had kind of had a rough patch in his career and was kind of coming back, bouncing this back. This is a little bit of a comeback choice for him, that, that Shane Black movie, yeah. Yeah, well, and, and Shane Black really, like, reached out to him for the role is, is what this story Interesting. You know, have you, is what you would, uh, is kind of how it goes. But uh, so anyway, in return for that, 
Robert, they needed a director for Iron Man 3. Robert Downey Jr. suggested Shane Black, said bring this guy on and do it, and kind of like told Shane, like, hey, come make a buku of bucks. You know, set yourself up for a little while and do this. Also, Tony movie. Stark is a fun character, right? For, oh, like, shit, it's, yeah. I mean, and it's, he's a snarky comedic character, so it kind of fits the bill of what Shane Black does. It does, because where I was going to go right after that is it does make sense that he would do Iron Man 3 because I didn't know until research for this episode that this dude wrote the entire, like, Lethal Weapon series. I've never seen one of those movies, but I kind of now, like, feel like I'm going to have a day. I'm just going to, like, watch them all. Like, I feel like I have to at this point. I'm sensing a theme. It, it, yes, buddy, buddy cop investigating, you know, but an action comedy too, because like, let's get that very straight about this movie. That's a niche thing. Yes, this, this let's get that very, very straight. This is an action comedy, and and it's it, it's it's an action flick. Like, there's a lot of guns and a lot of explosions and shit. You know, no disrespect to Danny Glover, no disrespect to Doc Holliday, Val Kilmer, but I love this one. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not trying to... This is my pick. Yes. I mean, I still enjoy Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but I do think that... Sure, of course. This movie will go down... I will... This will be one of my favorite movies for, for like, the rest of my life. I'll love this movie. Hell yeah. Yeah. So, it's hard... In a a well-written comedy like this, it's hard to pick your favorite moments. Mm. Um, Like, there's a cornucopia of fucking humor. Like, just... Throw a fucking dart and you'll hit something good. But we both made some lists of our favorite moments. Um, why don't you go first? Okay, sure, sure. Um, so I'm gonna take this uh, three, two, one here. Um, but number coming in number three for me is when Healy meets March. I I. This one is – I chose it to lead off because it's kind of a quick bang. It's not a really long sequence or anything. But I just love – so, you know, as we referenced earlier, Healy gets this case from Amelia to throw some guys off of her trail effectively. And one of those guys happens to be March. And so Healy goes to effectively throw him off the trail. And he he just breaks the dude's arm. He, like, just beats him up, roughs him up. Breaks the dude's arm, and then after he, like, okay, this is gold, I'm sorry, but after he breaks the guy's arm, he, like, he looks at him on the floor and says, you mind if I have an apple? You mind if I have an apple? Yeah. You mind if I have an apple? Grabs the apple, and then tells him to have a really nice day. When he sees his daughter outside after, he, he says, are you a friend of my dad's? And Healy says, we're business associates. He's <laughs> resting inside. He's Something resting. about the way he says he's resting. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Kills me. I thought that was great. Oh, I know. And then when she sees him again, though, that look in her face, she's like, she recognizes him. She's like, you're the guy who beat up my dad. But even better, like, okay, so he takes the apple, okay, in this just, like, total move of bravado, and then walks out, meets Holly, and Holly's like, you want a yoo-hoo? And he just throws the fucking apple in the bush and is like, are you, he's like, are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. Hell so yeah. He's shaking it. And then the next scene, he's bringing a case of yoo-hoos. <laughs> a case, he carried a case of yoo-hoos through the comedy store and up the stairs to his apartment. 
Oh, so I just love that sequence. I mean, it's like, who the fuck asks for an apple after break? And he's like, I just, it, that, that whole sequence is just really, really good stuff. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It really set the tone for their, for their relationship, too. I, yeah, totally. Like, he's doing what he has to do. He doesn't have anything against this guy in particular. He, Whenever you hear the word uh, spiral fracture from here on out, I'll think of this movie. Because he's like, when you go to the hospital, this is tell him this is what happened. Like, he's just doing what he's getting paid to do. It's not personal. And I think it, it's indicative. No, he's trying, to be as, he's trying to be as helpful as he possibly can <laughs> while breaking your fucking arm. And no Ryan Gosling's like squeal during that. Oh. It's so fucking funny. His, his high-pitched girl scream in he this movie twice. Is, yeah. is like... So, he, he does it full-fledged twice, but there's a couple of moments where he screams like a word or two, and it just it, it cracks me up. It's like... It's I can't I can't even go that high. Like you're a singer, I'm sure you can make it happen. But like <laughs> he's a fucking chain smoker, okay? Holland March should not be able to scream that high. So funny. Um, okay, so number two for me is it's like a it's like a one-two punch scene. So it's a it's a protest scene. And then yes! and the introduction into a character named Chet, which I just can't help Fuck but Chet. Uh, fucking Chet. <laughs> He's a projectionist. Okay. So he's a projectionalist, folks. Projectionalist. So, okay, so uh, Healy eventually teams up with March to find uh, Amelia, right? So they're working together, and March knows that she created a protest group, um, and he finds them, tracks them down. They get there, and as they're arriving, they're talking about uh, ventriloquists <laughs> and – and Healy's like, oh, you know, sometimes he's like, it, it, it's kind of like a ventriloquist. He's like, you know, and the the dummy, and and Marsh is just 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 missing him completely. And he's like, oh, they're good sometimes. And Marsh just looks at him and says, never, <laughs> never. And and it's like, so okay, so then after that happens, they walk up on this scene, and it's like probably 30, 20, 30 people all like doing a die-in, which you know, we're probably familiar with that today. But in the 70s and 60s, they did die-ins where you just, like, peacefully lay on the ground and, and act like you're dead. And For it, the birds. For, for the birds. But, like, you, you have to – first, I just want to set this up for everyone. Like, imagine the hilarity of two private detectives coming to ask questions to a protest group who are pretending they're dead. It, the whole dynamic of the scene is hilarious because they're all acting as if they're dead and they, they're like giving them so much shit for talking to them. And one of the things that cracks me up immediately is they just try going, Amelia! Is Amelia here? Is Amelia here? Like they just expect. <laughs> and, and then, okay, and who the fuck is this dude just sitting there in the middle of this process reading a newspaper and smoking a cigarette? And they're like, yeah, man, they're dead. They can't talk to you. <laughs> Somebody has to explain what's happening it's like, well, to what, bystanders. Why, why are they protesting? I don't know, man. Do any of you know why you're protesting? You know, and they're, and and even more funny, again, just to talk about the situational comp, there are signs lying all around them that say exactly what they are protesting. Exactly. Hey, who wants to make twenty bucks? And then some dude just like slowly raises his hand. Yes. It's like but... I live in LA and I'm, I'm protesting as a prerogative. I probably don't like make a living wage. I'll take the twenty bucks. 
Absolutely. I mean, and there's one little sequence. It's the guy, like, once the first dead, dead, uh, you know, air quotes, protester uh, responds back, the whole scene just opens up like a can of something and starts bubbling with, like, these comedy moments that just keep happening. And, like, one of my favorites is the guy with the bandana. And he's like, birds can't breathe, man. <laughs> He's like, we're dead because of the air. And and Healy's like, didn't the gas masks help? And they're like, yeah. oh, the respirators and shit. It's, that scene is just, it's great. And and coming out of that, they ask, you know, does anybody want to make some money? And here comes Chet, right? And he takes them to this burned down house and they pull up. And March is like, what the fuck's this, Chet? The fuck's this? And then Chet walks in. He's like, this is my part. I just have to get this out. He's like standing in the middle of the burned down house that has no walls. And he's looking around and he goes, man, this place looks so much so bigger. bigger. <laughs> Immediately from that moment on, March has this disdain for Chet. The fucking Chets of the world. Chet. The Chets of the world. That's my favorite. <laughs> the fucking Chets of the world. Uh, quick oh. sidebar. And uh, I watched the like, deleted scenes and B-roll and stuff. And when they're rolling up to that burned out uh house dylan's house uh they they three times in a row they like look the wrong direction out of the car and someone's just shouting it's the other way <laughs> like, they look over their right shoulder when they should be obviously looking over their left shoulder to the burned out house it was just a funny uh behind the scenes moment i found that i loved if I can if I can just continue on that for a split second, there's a moment in this movie. Like I haven't got to see any deleted scenes, but I'm guessing there's gotta be ta- outtakes because when they're sitting at the table and and March looks at Healy and he says he says, The young lady. The the porno young lady. And there's this <laughs> there's this twitch in his eye, and I'm like, I know that motherfucker almost broke. Like he well, almost broke. So when they go to the party, which we're going to get to later, is one of my favorite yeah, moments in the film. Uh, there's moments where he's like walking, when March is walking Holly out, you see Gosling smiling. When he's on SNL, he doesn't make it through a single sketch. Like, the dude has a hard time keeping it together. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and knowing that, it's funny <laughs> watching this. Like, he's just probably working his ass off not to laugh. I believe it, I believe it um okay so that's the okay so that's number two was the protest scene and in the, the intro the subsequent intro to chet and the chets of the fucking world um number three for fucking me chet. is is the discovery and subsequent number one dispo yes number one excuse me folks uh number one for me is the discovery and subsequent disposal of sid's body in the film and so first off like like i said i had some thoughts on this like i you can't even say barichnikov when, <laughs> when I watched this in theaters, I I literally gut laughed. Le- like, so loud, people were looking at me during this scene. Like, it's so fucking, fucking hard. So, okay, so to set the scene really quickly, March is up on a balcony, like, up in the, in the fucking Hollywood Hills in L.A., and he's flirting with this Indian girl. And he's I'm like, a cowboy. I'm a cowboy. And then he looks at her and he's like, shoot me shoot me and then she fakes shooting him and he's like oh taking it and then he takes another one takes another one and fucking falls off the balcony and rolls down probably like a 200 foot like hill 
all the way down to the bottom of this hill. And I have to say, folks. It takes a certain kind of person to find yourself in that sort of situation. It does. And if you've ever been drunk with Chase Ricker, folks, he's that person, okay? He is that person. That come on is is a Chase come on. Just shoot me. Shoot me. <laughs> it's stellar. So, anyway, he, okay, so he falls down this hill, and he's like, he, like, leans up against a tree, and he's trying to light a cigarette, and he's like, March, March, he's the man. If he can't do it, <laughs> no one can. And, okay, so then this dude literally discovers that there's a body, and he gets up, and he's, like, looking for his gun everywhere, and he sees he a figure. He loses his gun. He sees someone in the woods looking at him and he's like i'm not gonna hurt you i'm just looking for my gun <laughs> and he's and like the whole time he's not thinking like i just found a dead body someone's looking at me there's a dead body i'm talking about my gun like clearly you're gonna get implicated in this and to cap this one off it, uh, the, well the first part of this when he is like yelling whisper yelling for healy and he's like got all this air in his throat and he's so like good whipping his arm it's that's great great comedy and the the cap to the the number one comedy thing for all is the end of this scene when he and healy dispose of the body and it and falls on the table it falls on the dinner table of a wedding party like hundreds of feet fucking lower and they have no clue but the thing that kills me and i just want to point this out is such an awesome awesome editing ploy like our brains kind of understand basic physics. Like when something drops, we know when to expect the sound of it hitting the ground. Like it, it just, our brains are wired that way. Sure. And we like, they shoot this as they're walking up to this fence and it's a six foot tall fence and they're hoisting the guy over it and they stay with the scene on them just long enough for your brain to know that that body did not hit the ground somehow it did and, and then they cut and it splashes on the table that is some genius fucking shit it's because you're in this oh, oh i love that you pointed moment. that out i love you pointed that out that's great okay that was my seminal thing for the for the comedy i just want to say to add on to that pick i i i love their back and forth when they're carrying the body like i love how march is like super holland march is like super defensive he's like I had to interview the mermaids. Like he's wasted. <laughs> what were you doing while, while I, was I was doing working? my work while I was working? <laughs> he's so wasted. He's so fucking wasted. I gotta be honest. I had a. I, I'm. I'm gonna do my list, and the, I had a number three, but I'm. I'm just gonna add on to that because I think that that scene and that 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 part of the movie is my favorite. It's okay. so hilarious. Um, I have some quotes from it that I, I think are awesome. So he says, like, he says, like, I had two, one, two drinks, three max. <laughs> and like when he's getting called on his bullshit, he's just so defensive. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. Hi, everyone. I'm Amelia. She's about. <laughs> Yay, hi. <laughs> Answers to call the wild. Just kidding. I forgot her name. But, you know, if you see you, if you just see and let me know and, and tell me my name. <laughs> just his, Brian Gosling's, like, drunk acting is fucking so hilarious. Oh, it's great. It's great. It's, 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 oh, it's so good. It's so good. You know, it's hard to say it's on point 
because it's really hard to act drunk when you're not drunk. But like that is the greatest like drunk comedy. I think I've. I mean, that's good stuff. That is really. Well, he good starts. Stuff. He starts, and later in the movie, he like refrains from drinking on the job with free drinks, and it leads to like his big heroic moment and his turn as a character, where he well, fa- he feigns being drunk and he catches the bad guy and all of that, and it's kind of like the arc of the character. So yeah. that's why it's that's another reason why it's important. I would absolutely say that that's a big point. I mean, I think he Holland absolutely redeems himself because he realizes he is recognizes Holland yeah. and he uses it later, like strategically to win in a situation where he couldn't have won. He and takes he it a little it. far by explaining that he's invincible and he can't die because he gets lucky. So yes. what happens is he, him, he shoots one him. of the henchmen, the bad guy, and they subsequently fall off the top of the hotel and he barely makes it into the pool and survives. And he tells Healy when he gets out, he's like, I think I'm fucking invincible. I can't die. It's, he's just, it, A, he's lucky for that specific instance, but also he's sober. He's making like good choices and like figuring out he's problem solving. He's being a PI. Yes. And like quickly from a, from a, again, from an editing film editing standpoint, I am so happy. They stuck with that shot off the roof, the way they did where the that two bodies ladder was good, man. Dude, I mean, cause I know that they filmed it. I saw like a couple, I saw like a five minute little making the there. making of the uh, thing. And I, I saw a clip where they filmed it from another angle, but, I'm really, really glad that they stuck with that angle because the whole, like the, just the dynamic of that, the two bodies falling is great. So good. All right. I'll do my list or that was three for my list. The, the one that I debated with, um, was also the, the shootout with Matt Bomer's character with, uh, um, John boy. And I love that scene. A cause he just like throws a little girl out of the window. Fucking um, tosses her ass, dude. It's hilarious. Um, there's a hilarious moment where they're like, what's the guy who plays John Boy with a hockey puck on his face? A Walton's reference? And Matt Bomer's character, John Boy, who's like an elite-level assassin who's shipped in to take care of the situation, ha- like, they put, like, a huge mole on his cheek, just like the actor. If you have never seen the Waltons, John Boy is one of the... We are uh, 65-year-old men masquerading in our late 20s and early 30s, so we both know what the Waltons <laughs> we are. We know the Waltons, folks. <laughs> And um, John boy. I just I Nine. love, I I love that detail that they added in. I think it's so fucking funny. Oh, can I can I just say one thing? I was I loved hearing in a, in the after like a third rewatch again. That's my magic number. I picked up on a clip early in the film where they're where the, he's he's listening to TV news and the at the very end of the the broadcast that they put in the movie it goes. And now back to America's favorite family, the Waltons. And it's like you have no clue at that point that John Boy's even coming into the movie. And I love that. So yeah, totally. There's another one with Nixon, but we'll get there later. We're going to do a Nixon thing for sure. <laughs> okay. So not a crook, totally a crook. Okay. Number two on my list is the Burbank Apartments scene. <laughs> this is like my favorite scene. So what happens is there's this big culmination, this fight. That Holly, Healy, and March have in their uh, rented house. And Holly calls March. He's like, you're the worst detective. It's a father and daughter fighting. Like, it's very typical. And he goes, I just love his retort. He's like, worst detective? Really? Like, that really cut him. He really didn't want to hear that. 
In any case, so this is kind of complicated to explain, so hang with me. So there's an initial piece of paper that Amelia gives Healy that kind of floats throughout the film and is kind of a lamppost throughout the movie. And it's what it's seemingly is is an address that Amelia has given to Healy that's uh, super important, that where she might be, where it's a point of interest for the two PIs. And what happens is uh, uh, Healy's about to walk out of the house, walk out of the door, and March just says, you think that's an address? And what he does, he does this breakdown, and he convinces you that it's not an address. It's a, a airport incoming, like, overflow. Hey, okay, you got you. Okay, real quick, I just want to help help out a little bit. I think you have it just switched around. So, uh, Healy thinks it's a flight at the airport, and Hol- Holland Marsh is convinced. Oh yeah, 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 it's right. actually right. an address, like a flat. So what you think might be flight is flat, correct? Like an apartment. Yeah. And you're like, holy! It, well, thank you for helping me out on that because that is like odd to describe. Well, you you can't go to the next part and get it, keep it going without, yeah. So no, no. So thanks. So you think that March has this like redeeming moment where he has this like fucking Columbo savant moment where he figures <laughs> out this clue, and you're like, holy reference. shit! He's not the world's worst detective. He figured out this fucking clue, and it's like he redeemed himself. He's not yes. a drunk. He's smart. Okay, he figured it out. Guess what? He didn't. He was wrong. They go to said address, and they ask some bystander, we're looking for the Burbank Apartments. That shit's gone. That's not here. And they get into the car, and they're like, okay, let's go to the airport. Yeah. And it, it does lead them to find the Burbank Airport a, a hotel, which leads to a big part in the case, but still, just the writing of like leading you on and hooking you and making you think that March has this breakthrough moment and redeeming moment, and he doesn't at all. It's only about a minute and a half long, but I I just love the writing of that that segment. I thought it was oh, really really good. Completely agreed. And if I just one thing I'll add is like because toward the end of that sequence when they actually get to the the Burbank Airport Hotel West or whatever the fucking name yeah, yeah, of it yeah. is. And they're in that elevator. There's another great, great moment of the physical comedy and and the verbal comedy. I mean, it's like Munich, Munich, Munich. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Just hold, because I want to get. To the, oh, we can just uh, do it. No, no, go ahead. No, no, no. Never mind. I got you. We'll, we'll keep it in flow. Keep it in flow. My bad. So my number one moment. I wrote down bathroom scene, but really, it's just the bowling alley sequence. Oh. There's the whole thing. It's so yes. fucking funny. Yes. So, so my favorite. It's in the the trailer. I'm pretty sure. And and Healy goes into the bathroom where March is is using the restroom, re- smoking a cigarette per usual, and reading the newspaper. And he he comes in to like beat him and interrogate him. And Ryan Gosling does again this Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, like one two punch, this rhythmic fight so with the bathroom folks. door. To seem intimidating while somehow taking a shit and reading a newspaper and covering his junk, it's fucking hysterical. But still holds some sort of pride somehow, which is indicative of the character, right? That he still like has this, which is what being drunk maybe does for you. And so he stands up and he finally faces the Healy character. He's, Turn around. And there's a mirror. <laughs> you know there's a mirror, right? That scene, and also there's that scene is like is my favorite. It's so fucking funny. Um, 
And then there's a part right before that where he says, "You, uh, one of his daughters, one of March's daughters, friends of the party, is like, you took the Lord's name in vain. No, I didn't, Janet. I found it very useful. That's oh, it's great. I, I, I found it very useful, actually. Okay, Janet. <laughs> so good. Yes. That, that I absolutely. And you know, that's when the, just to add my little tit on that. I mean, that's add your little tit on that. Tid, tidbit, tidbit. Excuse me, sir. It was short for tidbit. I'm going to add my tid. That's when the, the fucking, the porno young lady comment happens and i'm i'm telling you that's another movie in the theaters i'm like i die because it's like <laughs> you're talking about the porno actress and and march just starts shaking his head the young lady the porno young lady but yes so and it's just it's so hilarious so that scene where it's the three of them there's also the run-up moment where his daughter runs up and says and like claps and startles <laughs> them and he says what are you doing she says i was giving you a rim job Rim shot, rim shot. He's like looking around, making sure everybody understands. She said rim shot, shot. rim shot. But that scene is really, it's it's really informative for both of those characters because they're talking about money and payment. Yeah. And, and uh, Healy's character is a businessman. He's trying to like make his, he's trying to get paid for what he's doing. And March is uh, bartering like he's this purest P.I., and he says that's very telling that you care about the money when in fact that is what March's MO is 100%. Absolutely. And he and says he, this he other thing. Know he that, says, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says this other thing. He's like, "You want me to finger her while you throw acid in her face?" No. I will <laughs> not like no. I will not sully my sanctification as a, P, a private investigator. You think I'll sink that low? I will not. But in fact, he's doing it the whole fucking movie. So good. So good. Um, there's there's just like a like a litany of quotes for this movie that are like our favorite moments for sure. Yeah, Real quick at the party scene, I just want to mention that Earth, Wind, and Fire are mm. the musical guests at the party. Yeah, at Sid Hadrack's Hatrack, Shattuck, Shattuck. Nobody's called Hatrack. Nobody's called it. Well, wait, hold on, hold on, no, wait. Okay. Here we go, folks. The little kid rides up on the bike at the burned down house. I wanted to talk about Chet a lot more, folks. I want to go on the record here, okay? Okay, wait. We're going to need to take like a five second pause. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm going to go get some whiskey. Sorry, dude. I had to do it. You got me too excited. Okay, so I wanted to talk about Chet a lot more. And one of the things I wanted to talk about with Chet in that particular scene is. Little homeboy riding his bike up. You want to see my dick? You want to see my dick? No, I, I don't want to see your dick. dick. I just gave you $20. What am I doing? <laughs> Such a great moment. Such a great moment. Okay, and also, just to point out another one of the things, because I'm, you know me, I'm a sucker for good, good fucking filmmaking and good writing in particular. And I love the way that, okay, quick little back pedal here. The, the opening scene of this movie is such like when you go into school and you're learning how to write and any like even from like elementary school and you're learning how to write they tell you make sure you hook the reader right away hook the reader i'm pretty sure a car crash is a pretty fucking good way to hook a reader right totally like, yeah i mean really really good way and i love the way that at that point and at this that point in the film they bring in the name of the 
film that these detectives are trying to, how'd you like my car, big boy? boy. You know, I love that they bring that back in. And so that was my little thought. I just wanted to throw that in about this weird, creepy little kid riding his bike and wanting to show his dick for $20. It's so fucking weird. And it's also, speaking from experience, folks, that is a pubescent boy. Thank you so much for that PSA. (laughs) I want to say, I think that 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 kid on his bike, I think that's like a Dirk Diggler fucking Boogie Nights 70s porn reference. I love that. I love that. That you right I, that you went there. Yes. I love that you went there. Like that this, guy that kid's gonna be doing Coke and like showing his dick on camera in like a matter of years. Absolutely. I'm glad that we finally got your Chet fix in. Thank you. I'm sorry, folks. I just <sighs> Chet's character. And also, can I just say Another subtle moment, the projectionalist with the, the projectionalist. L. Like, folks, Chase was a projectionist, okay? He was a projectionist. I dabbled a smidge. Just I a was a projectionist, though. He was a projectionist, folks. And you should know this because both of us worked in the theaters. And if uh, – wait, wait. Can I just say today's sidebar really fast? I bet you won't. Today's sidebar, folks, is – having a job at the movie theater like what okay here we go so i was getting 350 dollars paychecks but i loved every minute of it that was the most loved it that was the most romantic job i've ever had sitting up in an (laughs) attic full of like like winking 12 winking windows as you thread this film and it hangs in the balance in your hands whether or not it goes off or not oh it's beautiful. I love that job. Absolutely. And if I can comment from my perspective, so you got it. Um, I think you were uh, college age when you got that projectionist position. And I worked for the, I worked at the theater. I was 19, 19 to like 21. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Co- I mean, that's college age, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked there when I was like 16 and it was my, it was like one of my first jobs. So for me, what I remember is like walking in on my first night. It was the night that uh, the fucking Da Vinci Code opened. The, the place, I got kicked out of the Da Vinci Code for laughing dude, at it. <laughs> the place was insane, man. People there were losing were, their shit. There were lines out, like just wrapped around the building and shit for that movie. And I'm like walking into this for the first time. And I'm like, I come in the front door and I hear all this popcorn popping. And the projectionist is standing up on the catwalk with the door open so I can hear all the projectors running. And I've got, like, my my fucking 15-inch long curly-ass hair hanging on my head. And I'm, freak, I'm freaking out. I'm like, this is magic. Really magic. It's a, it, it was amazing, that man. Way. And, like, and when you said romantic, I love that you said that because, really, I think – that was, I mean, that's the seed, I think, of the love of movies for me right there. And especially the theater experience, because I love yeah. it. There's a Venn diagram on why we started this show. And in the middle is is why we both started working at the movies. And that yeah. was a common ground for both of us when we met. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of, speaking of Venn diagrams, there's a Venn diagram for this film when it comes to Los Angeles. Hollywood, mm. in particular. Who done it? Okay. Russell Crowe. Oh shit. Margaret Qualley, who plays Amelia. Okay. 
Okay. There you go. Yeah, okay. I'm drawing circles on my paper now. Should I connect these dots for you? Dude, bring it home, brother. Bring there's it just home. there's just something that caught my eyes. Like so Margaret Qualley, who is the daughter of Andy McDowell. Yes. In case you didn't know that, nineties darling. I learned um, that a year ago from a friend who told me that they were in love with her. So there's Margaret she's also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which is a quintessential, at this point, Hollywood film. L.A. Confidential, starring one Kim Basinger and Russell Crowe. This is just all and out, through and through, a Los Angeles Hollywood fucking motion picture, man. It is. It absolutely is. They, they, It's weaved. It's weaved throughout. There's no doubt. It's no weaved throughout. There is no doubt. Well, and L.A. Confidential, too, is is in particular is a big conspiracy like that's a big conspiracy theory you know like and so is so is this in uh, in effect you know sure you want to talk about margaret qualley's uh like performance in this film she doesn't really have a lot of speaking parts so i think she's like a dancer and she's trying to like make her way into hollywood and she's obviously been in some big films and stuff she's got a great hair flip a great hair flip. Okay, the golden hair flip of the week, folks. Her turn and run is perfect. <laughs> the turn, the folks. Her hair flip and her turn and run are unstoppable. We gotta sign her. That reminds me that we need to talk about two people on this podcast. We okay. need to talk about Richard Nixon, and we need to talk about Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Yes, yes. Because both are fascinations in this film. They are. They you are. Take, you take the Nixon tract. Yeah, so I... the Nixon story, okay, so Nixon comes in really, okay, the first inkling of a clue we get of Nixon is actually in Chase's favorite comedy scene in the bathroom stall because the magazine that Ryan Gosling's character, Holland March, is reading has Nixon's face on the cover. So March is covering his junk with Nixon's face as he's pointing a gun at Healy and, like, fighting this fucking bathroom door and a burning cigarette butt. Like, that's the first time we get Nixon, right? Then we have this beautiful, beautiful, and I love this. This is one of those things that I could spend the rest of my life just thinking about and be perfectly content. Don't care. I could smoke a joint and think about this forever. And Healy poses this kind of philosophical question, if you will, to March, and he tells him this story about how he had a friend who worked a security detail for Richard Nixon, and Nixon is like riding down the road in California one day, and he sees this motor accident, and he hops out, and he sees this guy's pinned under the under the car. And he goes up to him and he's telling the guy, like, hey, you're gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. Like, don't worry. And right when Richard Nixon says this to the guy, the guy dies. And March is like, okay, what's you the big point? You expected an angel, you got Richard Nixon. Exactly. Well, basically, the real thing is, is that this guy who's dying probably thinks he's fucking hallucinating and actually in real life Richard Nixon was there and I get love thinking about that for the rest of my life and I really hope now when I die that Richard Nixon comes to me like so much that would validate life for me but what does he say to him he's uh, March says like well, the point of the story oh the point, God. Is, the, po- the point is that 
there's always two perspectives of something. And Marsh is like, why, why didn't you just say that? You just told me this 10 minute long story. To, and all you could have said was there are two perspectives to every story. Yeah. And that's like, a, that's a great like microcosm of the type of comedy in this movie. It is, and it's also one of two moments in the film that are the single most indicative of me and you. That's a total blue thing to, like, go off on some fucking really stupid tangent for, for fucking ever, but it totally makes sense. It really, really does make sense, but I could have just said one, two, three, and instead I got all the way up to, like, 49 or some shit. You know, that's a me thing, like, no doubt. And then me just being like, you could have just said one sentence. And yeah. You could have saved us 10 minutes here. Yes, exactly. That's a total. And that's one of two moments that are totally us, like, no doubt. There's this hilarious allusion to, like, I don't, there's not like a congruent thread for it, but Holland March references Germany like several times in this movie. He does. Well, fascism is referenced a, a lot. Sure. In this movie. And I think that that's. That's part of that. It's the funniest one. And so they go up to the Burbank Hotel Airport, the Burbank Airport Hotel, rather. And there's that hilarious moment where they, it's quintessential. They they both bend around the corner. And it's like this, like, it's like this classic comedy thing where the two leads bend around the corner and their faces, guess what they do? They're like, fuck this. So, so the assassin has is in the building, and they're like, "This is way too dangerous. We have to fucking leave." <laughs> like, like, like this movie is about us. Like, we're here to save the day, and they get into the thick of it, and they're like, "Stop, fuck that. No, we, we can't save this day. We can't save this day." So what happens is the, they it cuts to them in the elevator going back down, and Ryan Gosling's character unsolicited, just says Munich. Yeah. And he was like, what are you talking about? He goes, a guy without his balls, a Munich. <laughs> he was like, Munich is a city in Germany. Munich, München, it's where the Olympics were held. And Holland says, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure my dad was stationed there. And then Holland goes, right, Hitler only had one ball and seen. <laughs> And scene. It's just like unsolicited, like patchwork humor in the middle of the thread of the movie. It's just so funny. And the other one, I forget the details, but someone is like giving direction and he says, uh, Holland March is like, someone's bossing him around. He's like, you know who else liked direction? Hitler. Fascism comes up in the You know movie. who else was just following orders? Following orders, yeah. Hitler. Okay. No, there's a third one. And it's my favorite. My favorite time that it comes up is at the very end of the movie when they bring out Kim Basinger's character and and, and Marsh is just like, just ignore her, just ignore her. And she starts talking to him. Oh, and he starts speaking in like pseudo-German. <laughs> so I believe he's making a reference to you being Hitler by speaking in the pseudo-German language. <laughs> and that's another one of my favorite comedy moments while we're on this. Like, because... Kim Basinger's character starts, you know, giving her little monologue about why everything happened. And she says, Detroit killed Amelia. She said, and then March goes, yeah, the whole city got together and took a vote. Turned out really well. 
good. Like this movie is like you are never, never more than a few seconds away from an opportunity to laugh. And I know. I tried movie. to like make my list, and it was impossible. I just it, ended up like writing down quotes. Exactly, because it's like I do have some moments that that like like film sequences that really were I thought. And the protest scene for me, and and the the body drop, th- those are that whole th- those things are developed as comedic scenes. But there are so many like one liners in this movie that you could just point to that are like you know it, you know. I have one of my favorites on hand right now. Go for it. So there's in in the tradition of Holland March being a bad dad and shipping his daughter off to her friends' houses for sleepovers as he goes on uh, jobs. Jobs, Erico. <laughs> Jobs, Erico. So at the, towards the end of the film, when he he's encouraging his daughter to go to be at Jessica's. Yeah, sorry, Mister March. My sister kicked us out. She's having a guy over. Your sister's such a slut. I did not hear that yeah, line I, until I the know. third time. I did not hear that line until the third time I watched this movie, and I like choked. I choked for a minute. I was. It's like, so oh. quick. It's so quick. It's so fast. And the young. The young child actor is like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's so I, funny. It is. It is. Um, okay, so one of mine is like just a real subtle. They pull up at this crazy ass party, and these two like you know stereotypical hot chicks are walking by. Oh, here we go. She's like, if, if don't say and like, stuff. All I said was, if you want me to do that, don't eat the asparagus. And oh, I'm like. <laughs> I die because, like, dude, as- asparagus pee smells terrible. I would not want to go down there after that either, okay? I just want to say that. What I thought you were going for was the and stuff bit. Oh, no, that one is – that I have that on my list because I- I'm going to let you deliver. But, like, for me, I just love how how proud Holly is when she corrects that woman and tells her, you know? it's just So the first instance is, Dad, there are a lot of whores here and stuff. Honey, what have I taught you about saying and stuff? Just don't say that. Well, there are there are a lot of them. <laughs> and then later in the scene, she says, um, what is it, anal? Is that what they're talking about? She, she's like, the, the one woman's all... Oh, they're just like, doing anal and stuff. Yeah, I walked in on him doing anal and stuff. And then, yeah, yeah it just Holly is so proud because she corrects her. And she's like, don't say and stuff. Just say they're doing anal. <laughs> That's super funny. It is. Do you know Do you know who Omar Sharif is? Mm, not from name. So he's like a, a an Egyptian actor. He was in a Lawrence of Arabia, um, probably super popular more now, more so now than more so in the seventies than now. In any case, there's this uh, voiceover that they do in the movie, and they're talking about the aunt who's inquiring about the absence of Misty Mountain and her her whereabouts and her death and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, Holland March says, uh, you, or Healy comments on her Coke bottle glasses and how thick they are. <laughs> and Holland says, you stick a mustache on a Volkswagen. She'll say, man, that Omar Sharif runs fast. <laughs> and it's like this post-edit voiceover they do while the car is winding through the Hollywood Hills or whatever. And it, I have to pause it whenever he says it because it's so funny. <laughs> And that Omar Sharif runs fast. Ah. Oh, 
Oh, dude, this movie is so fucking killer. I it's swear. So it's like sprinkled with just nuggets of gold. Like just nuggets and nuggets and nuggets of gold. So good. So a big part of this movie that we alluded to in the beginning of this podcast was something that's frustrating about the lack of success of the yeah. film. Yeah. Big yes. byproduct of that that really bothers me is that it seems open-ended to be a sequel. Oh, it's definitely supposed to be a sequel, my friend. Come on. Come on. So at the, the last scene of the film where they make the toast that we have made on this show today. We made it. They they seem to have, uh, Holland and Healy seem to have made a small business. And they're sharing an ad. There's a hilarious moment where he says, sorry, I made you, uh, Holland says to Healy, sorry, I made you look Filipino. Which <laughs> so funny. And can we just say, though, like, can we just say one thing about Holland? Throughout the whole movie, the dude has great ads. He's got great ads. In he says movie. that. He says, bad detective? I got great ads, though. <laughs> Absolutely. But in any case, they they form a union. And it's on paper. And it's a business. And it's advertised. And it seems obvious that this duo has gone through this journey. And the end of the film is a classic set it up to be another sequel where they have their shit together and we see the duo back again. And because of the lack of success that we talked about early in this episode, that never, you know, happened because of financial reasons. And that's might be the biggest tragedy of this movie, other than Such... Kim Basinger's performance, which we will oh, well... get into. Oh, <laughs> Oh, dude. Okay, KB, like literally, no, bu no bueno. Like, don't, don't give me that. This ain't no cable movie. It, it no, it, seriously. Which I'm I not think, opposed to. That's I the kind really of performance believe she put in. that she got that part based off solely the fact that she was in L.A. Confidential and kind of had that vibe. But there's no doubt. I mean, but this movie was like so. There's a quote from Shane Black from the special features on the Blu-ray, and he says something to the effect of, you know, he's like, I'm not saying sequel. I'm just saying sequel. Like, it, it's it's obvious. You know what I mean? It was and, written to lead into another movie. It's obvious. It was. And, and also, like, if we're going to, like, spitball on that for a second, like, it was written like they wrote this. He wrote this in multiple iterations. He wrote this at the same time he wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Like within a few years of one another at the same time he was writing that when he wrote this one. And it was it was once written for TV, which you could totally oh, see. Oh wow, that. totally. You know, it makes perfect sense. Like Maybe I would not, love no. to watch this, you know. Yeah, that's a good, I would watch that show. Yeah, I would watch this show. I would watch it. So, yeah, I mean, again, I think the sequel game is obvious at the end, and I just am holding out hope that no matter what else it was, I just hope we'll get another sequel. Even though Gosling says he has a rule where he doesn't do sequels. I have a hot take. Hot take me. Take me hot. Uh, trilogies are overrated. And I think that having... Two movies in one franchise is way better than three. Oh, absolutely. You you tell me the you third gotta... Back to the Future sucks. Okay, dude. It's tell aged me... well. People like it more now, but 
the third two, godfather. Especially with like, okay, we don't need to talk about Sofia Coppola on this episode. Let's keep it. Let's bring it in. But there should just be two. Two. That's it. We can stop at three for everything ever. Stop at three. No, no threes. We don't need threes. If you had to pitch this movie or make a point to someone to go go and watch it, what would it be? Oh God, I just I don't even know. I mean, like I have such an affinity for detective movies and like solving the case movies. So I would just be like, you know, listen, it's a, it's one of those movies that it's like it's a detective flick, but they do it, they do it in a comedy, and it's really good comedy. It's comedy at its best. It's like the good kind of comedy. It's not the. The, shock value. It's yeah, not, it's not shock. It's dick not jokes. Raunch. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not dick jokes exactly. It's just it's, good writing. It is. It's good writing. Although it's, there is a dick joke. Okay, there's a couple of dick jokes. My nose isn't the only thing that grows. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think there's something for me. There's there. I feel like uh like a a private detective film noir kind of vibe. It runs in this movie, um, and but I it's think funny. it is absolutely. It's funny. not LA Confidential. It's not Chinatown. It's those movies meets like some Chaplin thing and twenty first century comedic writing. It is. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And that, but what what I was getting at is that there's a seed in that like that detective film noir movie. That's there's something kind of. I don't want to say quintessential because I don't know, like, I'm not going to go, I don't, I don't have the research to back up, like saying that this is like, you know, unique to America, but it feels like, you know, a private detective film noir, like figure it out movie or who done it, as you called it. Um, that feels kind of American, you know, because if you look back, like a lot of our movies, you go back and I, I think I'm thinking about bogey, you know, like for well, film noir is, is, french so that's like that's a french thing but sure. but i get what you're saying for it to be set in los angeles through a detective's lens though in particular okay but it is kind of what is what i'm talking like i just said film noir to really call back to you know that humphrey bogart kind of shit but no i get what you're saying i mean it, it's not it's not american by any means but there's something fuck it it's human we all love this. That's what I'm trying to say, if I'm honest. It has nothing to do with America. We're human, and we love this genre. This genre is something that we all are intrigued by, and this one does it with comedy, which is just not something you get every day. My pitch to someone would – this is a like truly unique film. Mm -hmm. And what I love seeing from my movie stars and from my leading men, from my gladiators – and my La La Lands is proof that they're artists and proof that they're talented and not just like a pretty face that they can like do some shit and they can actually act. They can, they have, you know, versatility in their arsenal. And if you want to watch some movie stars, some leading men make you gut laugh and be stupid fucking funny, watch this movie. Cause That's it's, a a, good... it's, it's a fucking joy to watch Russell Crowe. Be a grumpy old man and beat the shit out of Ryan Gosling. That's a better pitch than I gave, and you're absolutely right. And it's I'm, a joy. Like, it, that reminds me of something like I had a little bit of special features on the on the Blu-ray disc, um, and one of the things I saw was Shane Black said 
talking about Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe, he said that they, they get paid what they get paid for a reason. Like you, you can say that these people are overpaid or whatever you want, like from which I'm not trying to get into that, but like you can say that, but like these people get paid what they get paid for a reason because they're fucking amazing actors. Like when you folks, if you've never tried to make a film, if you've never been part of that process at all, and 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 another layer, if you've never watched some behind the scenes making of a film footage on a on one of your favorite movies. It's not easy. These people was, were not just getting pampered all day and walked out onto like a comfortable air conditioned set and, you know, doing this, this, and this. The kind of movies that we're going to likely pick are going to be by people who are actually trying to make a movie. And when you're actually trying to make a movie and you're trying to make it somewhat realistic, it's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's I actually uncomfortable. Yeah, I encourage listeners of the show to go and go on YouTube and watch behind the scenes B-roll outtakes of this movie because it really shows you Did you just like flash me your Motion City soundtrack t-shirt? No, I didn't. It's in the middle of a really deep important note on this movie. I just need to I needed to adjust my stuff and I thought I was going to get away this whole time with just it being an Abe Lincoln shirt, but... Yeah, I saw the text. In any case... <sighs> cover blown. Please, please forgive my friend. Go... I encourage people to go and watch on YouTube the outtakes, B-roll, behind-the-scenes stuff, because it really shows Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling working together. And the scene when they first meet, it looks like, even from like an iPhone on set, Filming it, it looks like Russell Crowe's beating the shit out of Ryan Gosling on the movie. And they're back and forth in the car scenes. It's just, it's it's really great. I encourage any film lovers to go and watch stuff like that. For sure, for sure. And and you will, um, like for me, watching these behind the scenes, I saw Shane Black watching the 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 um the screen that shows him what the camera is shooting and what it's going to look like in the right aspect ratio crop down and everything and i'm like i'm just i get so giddy over that because it's like i just want to make another film because i love that i'm just such a geek it's so we're like we're so geeky about this stuff and these people because they create worlds like that's so it's so cool i mean and and absolutely absolutely i just i think this is this is one of those movies that just hits you in the gut and it like it just makes you feel good, you know? This is an unsung hero movie. Go and watch it. Tell your friends. It's already had its run. It's not gonna make any more money, but goddamn it's fucking good and it's unique and it's gonna make you laugh and you're not gonna have to sacrifice any morality while you laugh. Please go watch the nice guys. We love this one. Josh, I think I'll end this the way we started it with a toast, my friend. Oh, hit me, hit me, hit me. For the birds. Hallelujah. We'll see you next time, friends. Thank you. Once again, thank you so much for giving us a listen today, everybody. People are listening, and it's making this experience so much more fun. So please give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. And be safe, be kind, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, y'all.